0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Keep It Posse podcast. My name is Jasmine and this is episode 24. This week's guest is the first boss I ever had. Ariel Legaspi is the band director at El Serino Middle School in Los Angeles. My first job out of high school was at El Serino, and I was a teacher's assistant in the music department. It was my job throughout college and during this time, I got to work for Ariel and also got to know him. However, in this conversation, there was a ton more that I learned about him. Ariel and I talked about the challenges of teaching during COVID, the importance of teaching students skills and lessons they can apply later in life, his upbringing, how Michael Jackson's thriller opened the doors for him musically, how Rosie O'Donnell helped him pay his way through college, and a whole lot more. This is one of the longest conversations I've had with someone for the podcast, but there were so many things discussed, I feel like everyone listening will take something from it. Here's my conversation with Ariel on the Keep It Posse podcast. Hello.
1: Hey, Jasmine. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. Doing good.
0: Cool. It's been (laughs) a very long time.
1: Yes, it's been a very, very long time. Yes, it has.
0: I'm trying to remember the last time I I went to Sereno.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And it's been years. I got to be honest.
1: Yes. No, it has been years. I remember the last time you might have... No, I don't. I don't remember. It might have been for a concert or something that you went, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah.
0: And in, yeah, I, I wouldn't even be able to remember what year that was, honestly. <laughs> How are you? How's everything? I'm doing.
1: Everything's good. Everything's good. Uh, you know, just with this whole pandemic thing, just trying to stay uh, positive. It's hard to stay positive during times like this because um, you're home. You know, you're yeah. home all the time. So and. Teaching from home is challenging. I can only and I see my daughter going through school at home, and she has challenges. And I can only imagine the students as well mm-hmm. going through their own challenges as well. So it's just uh, the the stay-at-home orders have been have been rough, and we still don't know what's to come. So with school districts, so we're still you know just trying to keep it positive. You know, yeah. uh, just trying to stay stay positive the whole time. Through, through this whole pandemic.
0: So I'm curious this is because with any art teachers, music teachers, drama mm-hmm. teachers, I'm yes. curious to know how teaching has been for you guys. You know, I have friends that teach all these other subjects, but when it comes to mm-hmm. the arts, mm-hmm. what? how have you been able to teach your classes?
1: That has presented the challenges the most. Um, Unlike the core teachers, math, English, science, um, they have it a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. It's probably, I'm not gonna say it's easier, they still have their difficulties, but the difficulties that we see as instrumental music teachers um, is getting the kids instruments. Um, Right now for our site, we are providing instruments to the students that that have had at least a year, half a year of experience with us from last year. Um, which would be our advanced group. So they're getting, they they got their instruments, but we had to schedule it in um, uh, appointments, pods of time where they had to come in and then make sure they were practicing social distancing, giving them their instrument from uh, a distance, having them check it um, and then go and then let them take it home. Uh, So everything had to be cleaned and sanitized before they they even took it. Um, And that took time. So always having to ask for permission to be on campus when before, I only had to notify them if I was going to be on campus on a day where I'm not supposed to be. But now it's having to let them know and then filling out a questionnaire to make sure I haven't been exposed to COVID is just more hoops and more hurdles to jump over um, that that has presented. But all of our beginner students, all our beginning students are not touching an instrument. They're learning music theory, all the basics of music theory. They're going to be exposed to music and creating music through a a program that the district purchased uh, or has a license for called Soundtrap to create beats and things like that. They have loops in it. So it's kind of like GarageBand a little bit, but more it's PC friendly and things like that um, for the Chromebooks. And it's, you can use it with the iPads as well. But that's how we're going to be using it. A lot of the teachers in the district are using that program, Soundtrap, for uh, for, for the students. And it seems to be presenting a lot of uh, positive things. So for for the kids, so we're going to start doing that in this upcoming month and showing the kids how to use that and make their own music, whether it be a rock mm. beat, whether it be a hip hop beat, whatever it is. But making them into mini producers, as I've been telling them, we're going to create you into mini producers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's
0: fun. I mean, that'll be that'll be something new for them for sure. But then I'm sure for all of you teaching music that's another thing to look at yeah um, since you guys have not been able to teach in person and, and then who knows when yeah. when that'll happen again so when was the last time you've been able to you know because you also are involved with the uh, la marching band mm-hmm. when was the last time you were all able to practice
1: Um, It was the last time we met was January, mid-January for the Martin Luther King Parade. That was the last time that we actually got together with the uh, All City Band um, to play, to perform for the Martin Luther King Parade. And then after that, it was, um, that was it. So we, um, we haven't met since then. The group has not met since then. We're trying to get something off the ground, not a performance, but something virtual, still provide something for the students via Zoom or virtual, just some sort of exposure to it. So whether it be finding time to rehearse online with them and mm-hmm. then uh, recording maybe do a recording of a couple songs and then putting it together kind of like you've seen a lot of choirs and different bands kind of they're getting together. And, but they film their part, individual parts and different at their homes. And then some very, very good video editor and sound engineer puts it all together and it makes it sound like they all just decided to play together on zoom. So we're, that's the, that's one of the projects that we're going towards uh, to do that. And also trying to build our leaders in our, in the group that, are some of the seniors some of the leaders within the sections of each of the marching bands. so just trying to create uh, a leadership program as well to help build the future leaders of uh Mm -hmm. of the city of the state of the country and provide a something positive for for them to get out of all city even though we're not meeting together
0: yeah that's awesome after the martin luther king parade do you guys normally call it a day for a while
1: we normally don't have any performances unless something big happens. Something okay. really, really big happens. As All City was approaching this season, this should have been our 49th year. Mm-hmm. So our 50th is next year. So we're hopeful that next year we'll be able to do a parade for the 50th anniversary of the band. But things are in motion for the big 50-year celebration of, of the band. The The big performance for, this, for, for the All City band is always the, um, the the Rose Parade. I mean, that's what it was created for. That w- That's what it was founded for, to participate in the Tournament of Roses Parade. And um, to not have that has been harsh. But due to COVID, we totally understand why. So now we um, have to be creative in what we're going to do and the ideas that we're putting together. So Tony White is uh, spearheading this whole thing and trying to get something going for the kids because it's all about creating... Memories and creating positive experiences for the kids. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do.
0: Well, I'm glad you guys are, try- are still moving forward and just trying to make it work, especially for them, because it- it's been hard for everyone for different reasons.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. I can imagine.
0: So I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to the podcast, but uh-huh. one of the things I like to hear, because everybody has a story and i 've known yes. you for a while, and I know mm-hmm. a good chunk of your story mm-hmm. and, and you know so for those that don 't know who you are, yes, can you please give a quick intro of where you 're at and how long you 've been there?
1: Oh okay, um, well, my name's ariel legaspi i 'm um, the music teacher at uh, El Sereno middle school i 've been there now for 14 years um, at El Sereno Middle School, and um, I uh, am a graduate, Uh, I'm a product of LAUSD, product of LAUSD, grew up in Huntington Park uh, by a single parent, and I um, went to the University of Southern California for my bachelor's degree in music education. I was lucky enough to get a, a scholarship to attend. After that, I attended Cal State Long Beach to get my teaching credential, and then from there, I went straight into teaching full time. And I um, will say that in the 14 years I've been there, I still remember the first conver- the the conversation I had with the principal at the time, Mr. Duardo, who hired me, who happened to also be one of the directors in the All City Band and was my director for the All City Band. He uh, wanted me to build something. That would outlast me. That's what his task was. Uh, Because the prior music educators there, a couple years before me, were not able to build something that was sustainable, that was going to last. Um, It did not build the morale of the kids, which is something Mm -hmm. that he did tell me. He's like, you have to build the morale of the kids. They They have to love you. Mm-hmm. And you have to build something that is going to last, outlast you once you decide to leave the school and move on to bigger and better things. Rebuilding a program that was completely destroyed by the previous person was very tough. And you were there in those beginning stages when it started, where it was just me, you, Mr. Rivera, and a vision that I had, which was to create something that will outlast me and something that the kids would have some pride in. And I think that's where I developed my, my little motto of desire, drive and destiny, which the desire to succeed will drive you to your destiny. Um, and that's what, that's what drove those early groups and drove that drumline that first year, Mm -hmm. which I never thought I was going to create a drumline, but that's what the principal wanted. This is my fourteenth year, and um, I am um, absolutely love it. I love teaching teaching kids and bringing and and pulling out potential that they students and kids feel they don 't have through music through that avenue of music is something that is i don 't you, you can do that in a math and an English class, mm-hmm. but to play an instrument and using both sides of the brain and being creative at the same time is stepping out of that cocoon of your comfort zone that builds so much inner strength because yeah. it builds that confidence in, in somebody. And I think that's what it did for you. M- music did that for you playing an instrument. And then it kind of led you to what your ultimate career was. So I don't ever expect my students to be professional musicians, but I expect them to, to use the lessons they were taught in music to, go out and do great things in the world. It doesn't have to be in music. It could be in whatever they want. And most of those students now are now college graduates out working full-time. Some of them even have master's degrees now, which is crazy to know. Uh, but they've attended MIT, Dartmouth. Some students are at USC now. Some students are at UCLA. Some students are uh, just in Stanford. I mean, they're all over the place. And they reach always reach out to me when I'm... Uh, teaching and through Facebook and will say thank you for teaching me music and they remember those early lessons that I taught them um, about working hard and staying focused and getting on their grades Um, even though I could be a little uh, hard sometimes with them and pushing them but (laughs) I knew that they had that in them that's the thing I knew that they had that in them so that's why I would always push them to strive and to for for more and to succeed because I knew they what they were capable of and I knew they had potential. They mm-hmm. just had to really dig deep and some of them and I would say all of them did. They 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 found it and they pushed to to their ultimate destiny and now they're they're successful people. They're successful human beings which is as a teacher that's all you can hope for is that you create Positive human beings in this world, um, and that you help mold them into that.
0: Yeah. Well, I because I'm so I'm friends with some of them on Facebook too. At mm-hmm. least the ones that
1: from the early days I was there exactly. Yes. Yeah.
0: As your TA and yeah. And yes, you know the ones that you know share stuff online. They're doing pretty good. And you talk about your goal being that you just want them to grow up to be decent and good people and go Mm -hmm. off to pursue their dreams. And, you know, I I just recall you like having to, you know, be tough with some of the kids sometimes, but Mm -hmm. they they pull through. And, you know, I think especially because in the climate that we're in right now, a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't realize we need to focus more in funding the arts. Yes. And and because I recall, I mean, I think – you and Mr. Yanez were lucky that you had the support for, from Mr. Duardo, And that's because mm-hmm. he was also a musician himself. Mm-hmm. So he had a way to...
1: Fund. Fund, Fund the program. He yeah. would, he
0: had ways to help out, but that was still like, no, we got to go out and we still got to do more. And mm-hmm. you guys went out and still did it. And that's why you guys are still doing it, mm-hmm. you know, doing your thing, whether it's at Elstreen or wherever else people go to. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and funding is one of the things that is still very sad, but the arts always suffers. You mm-hmm. know, the art forms always suffer, and those are the things that, especially now in the climate we're in, this COVID climate that we are in, the kids need more arts. Like, I wish I could provide a stu- uh, uh, every student I have with an instrument in their hand, so they can – use it at home. I know they're really expensive, but I wish I had enough to provide each kid. But my classes are still very heavy with high numbers. So I don't have enough instruments to provide each kid. Um, So we have to use different avenues, but they're... Even in year 13 last year, kids were still, some kids were still sharing instruments. Some kids had an instrument that they didn't share, but some kids had to share yeah. instruments because there wasn't enough. There's never enough. And fundraising to take the kids and expose them to different um, competitions and things like that. I mean, you you saw me take the drumline kids to the district uh, competitions, and then you were there when we started venturing outside of the the confines of LA unified and going to seek out um, tougher competition, not to say that there wasn't any in LA USD. It's just, I knew there was more out there and I wanted to, in a sense, deep down, I wanted to expose the kids to the competition and the people that they would run into in their future. Mm-hmm. outside of the zip code of El Sereno, I wanted them to step out of that and to compete at their level. Like we would go to them and compete at their level and understand how to compete with them. Um, it wasn't nice at times where we, when we would go out. There would be, my, the students experienced being looked at because where they were from. They experienced um, being told that they didn't belong there by other schools from much more well-off programs and uh, families. And having to teach the kids to understand how to deal with those problems was more lessons than i can teach that what's what more than i could teach in music but i had to teach them those life lessons and how to encounter them and how to deal with people who thought that they didn't belong because i dealt with that when i went to usc where people said i didn't belong because i came from huntington park and i was the you know the brown kid from the from the hood that didn't belong there these kids were looked at the same way which was sad but that was the world that they lived in, and they were exposed to it. And many times I had to pull some kids to the side who were – you could tell they were emotionally broken and tell them that um, this is something they would have to encounter and that if I would go talk to the director – and many times I would go talk to that stu- to the directors of where those students were um, the – uh, teasing or the name calling mm-hmm. was coming from. Um, I would have to go talk to them. Uh, so that way my students knew I had their back because they had to know I have your back. No matter where we are, I have your back. As long as you don't step out of character because the character I wanted them to build was they already perceive you as something yes. from where you come from. Yes. Don't feed into that. So act appropriately just walk away from the problem, tell the adult, I will handle it. I was, I'm was i very proud to say I never had an incident because the kids always approached me and I took care of the problem. I went and directly talked to the person and got apologies for those kids. So they felt I had their back. And when they felt I had their back when a situation happened, they worked harder for me. They realized Somebody is looking after me. Yes, and I will work hard for that person. So they—they, they, I earned their trust, and we—we, um, we, the relationship between teacher and student just grew stronger. And that's why some of those kids follow me on Facebook still, and to this day. Uh, today, I had one student who had. Her, si- her sister is now in the class and we were watching uh, thriller and mm-hmm. she was, she was like, I was sitting right next to my sister because I knew this is a tradition you never break. And I'm like, COVID's not going to break the thriller tradition. I'm sorry. So we huh. watched thriller and she just remembered those times because we built that bond, that, that relationship um, with, with, with her where she could trust me and I can trust her and I had her back. She had my back and we had, and that was just the relationship that we, that we built. So with the kids during those drumline days, we, they, they had to build that with me. I pushed them hard, but they also knew that it came from a place of love all the time. It never came from a place of, I dislike you. So I am going to push you harder and run you to the ground um no it wasn't that it was we're going to work hard until it's perfect because if it ain't perfect it's not gonna fly so Mm -hmm. they learned to be perfectionist through me they learned to hone their craft and perfect it because I felt like they were looked at harder than the other students than the other groups because the other groups had all the funding we had to sell chocolates you know Candy, you know, candy bars, popcorn, uh, cheesecakes, yeah. uh, you know, different things. You know, we had to fundraise in in different ways to make to be able to pay for a bus. And so those kids, my kids, earned every penny to get there. Even though we showed up on the oldest school bus that we were able to afford, we showed up. Yeah. And we 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 brought it to each group. So once we started moving our way up in the american drumline association to the top five making it to semifinals and finals and then getting to that top three spot and then finally getting first place they all worked hard and earned it they all did put in the work i just was the driving force and to to push them to there to seek that to to seek that potential that they had because they they all have it they just don't see it and i just i i wanted to keep pushing them so a little nudge from me never never hurt them because they Mm -hmm. got to where they needed to get to and i think sometimes teaching students from i would say from uh from you know the the quote-unquote inner city, you know, what they are, um, it's, they have a more tougher exterior. I will say that. And because I know, because I had it and Mm -hmm. having to, I, I knew what I had to do in order to get into their good grace and then really kind of move from there and push. So they all heard my story. They all knew what I came from. So they related in that sense. So just, driving them and driving them and pushing them to, to 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 get to the destiny that they wanted um was was hard but they all reached it they all reached that potential even if we lost it was fine as long as they got there I didn't care what the outcome was at the end if we lost that's okay if we won okay great that's great but if we lost there was a lesson to learn in loss as well and um, we had to I had to teach that lesson too in losing so so it's I mean it's, it's been interesting. And I, I couldn't have done any of those things without the support of a great principal, the support of TAs like you, Mr. Rivera, mm-hmm. Mr., uh, Mr. Martin, and Mr. Cisneros, because they, um, they, they helped mold, you guys helped mold that program into what it is today. And that's why it's been sustainable. So now I know if I ever decide to step away from it, it's going to be there. It's still going to be there. It's still going to be there. We just have to pick the right person to fill my shoes and to keep moving the program in the direction it's supposed to go. So,
0: Yeah, no, it's crazy. It really is. And I think it also – it's just awesome that the word goes out about it within the community, and it doesn't just stay in the school.
1: Yeah, I think I was. It wasn't my intention. I just wanted to build something that the kids would gravitate to, um, and um, would take pride in it, and would take care of it. Um, so I never, th- I, I, I never thought that of make, building a reputation outside of the community. It just kind of happened, and once it started happening. I had to create something, a vision for it even further, because I had created a five year vision. And then I had to create I had my 10 year vision. And now I'm in my 15 year vision. It's like, oh, okay. So let's we're looking at a maybe a possible twenty year vision. I, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know how long I'll end up being there, but still it's like the vision has kept growing and growing and um, evolving. It evolves. It constantly is, is is evolving into something different. So much that I think uh, some, uh, it's it's gotten really competitive. I've met new teachers that come up into the uh, into teaching the, in the district and they hear, they've heard about the program and they're like, well, you know, wait until my uh, group goes up against yours and we're going to see who really is like, oh, okay, well good luck. So, yeah. I mean, I just, I, 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 good luck, you know, good, good for you. I'm I'm glad somebody's trying to, you know, knock the, knock the students and knock the school off of its, its quote unquote throne, but it's, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, so if they want, if I, I'm competitive, yeah. but I'm not trying to be number one all the time. I'm just trying to teach music and just keep going. That's it. And, Create positive human beings, that's it, that are going to uh, change the world in a positive way.
0: So what musical groups do you have right now at El Serena?
1: We Let's see, with me, I have the advanced band and I have um, the jazz band. The drum line is now part of the the band class. In first period, it does not meet after school anymore. So, um, And that was more of... Um, um I would say it was more of a personal decision where we had to just at some point I had to slow down because I had I had my my daughter was born in 2013 and I was in the midst of the early part of my career cuz I started in 2007 so I was still very still young and still trying to create something that would uh be sustainable and, and last longer than me. So we were going out and competing on Saturdays and going to band competitions, jazz competitions, drumline competitions. And it seemed like every Saturday was just busy when it was just me and me and Alba, my, my, my wife, it was, it was easy. It wasn't hard. Mm-hmm. But once you add a child into the mix, then it's uh, it changes your priorities a little bit. It's like, okay, I need to be a dad. I need to be a dad and I wanted to be and I wanted to be the dad that I didn't have because I didn't grow up with my dad so I think anything I did at that point was going to be better than my dad but still I wanted to create memories with her I don't I didn't want her to see me out all the time working and where is dad oh he's working oh he's doing this he's doing that and I needed to just—I I, I needed to be there for for her, and I needed to be there for my son too. Once he was born in 2017, that's when things started to kind of like, okay, I, I really need to just kind of start slowing this down a little bit. And and you know, if it if if it's if it, if I if the drumline has to reinvent itself and come into the school day instead of after school, then that's what we're then that's what I have to do. We don't compete anymore in ADLA. We don't compete anymore in the drumline district competition. So the drumline that you saw that was created does not exist anymore. It is now mostly just the band and the jazz band. And the drumline, anybody that learns how to play drums is put into that advanced band class, and we work from there. So we don't do... The drumline is is a different type of drumline now. It's not as competitive as it was then because... I had to be, I have to be a dad, you know, yeah. I have to be there for, for, for my kids. And, um, the parents understood. And I think the kids under, I think the kids understood too. They, it sad in them,
0: yeah. but
1: they understood because those kids that are now that were growing up, that grew up in that drum line and are in college and see me on Facebook and Instagram with my kids, they, um, they, they understand like they understand why i did it they mm-hmm. they understand why it had to happen um and it, it it hurts me because that was like it was some it was something i created and i kind of like we went out on top i will say that we we got first place and then it was like it best way to end is on top and then we just at that the following year yeah. just you know we it kind of disappeared and we never we never went back we haven't gone back and People ask, "Why don't you guys bring it back up?" It's like, well, and the people that are asking are the people who have um, are are young teachers, no kids, so they have all the time in the world to invest and everything. And it's like, you go after it, man. You go after. You just you you go. You do it, okay? Do it all before you have kids, because once you have kids, things change. So, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah. No, I I see that Uh, priorities change in in. once the kids start getting involved with their extracurricular activities, you know that's the other thing that gets in there so if you don't mind taking me back, what was your introduction to music?
1: My introduction to music okay well some I don't know if you know this, but I was um I was born with a, a cranial facial disfigurement called mm-hmm. cranial synostosis. so I went through seven reconstructive surgeries on my skull to allow my uh, the brain to grow. So craniosynostosis is when the soft spots, okay, in the skull are when you're born they are already hardened so it doesn't allow room Uh, for your brain to grow. So the doctors have to physically go in there and create that room uh, in your skull. So I also was born with hypertillerism, which was my eyes were far apart. So I went through seven reconstructive surgeries and I was very, I was bullied a lot as, as a young, uh, as a kid, all the way through, through, through high school. Um, So, and both of my kids are born with those, with those things too. So we, we didn't, we didn't expect that for my daughter but she, she you know she she was born with it and my son was too so it's 5050 when it comes to yeah. the uh, the if they're gonna be born with it or not so um, but uh, for me sports and things like that I never found any passion in it but I think with music I think my first introduction to music was of course listening to the normal you know, Mexican house uh, music <laughs> that's playing when they're cleaning on Saturday and stuff, or you're Juan Gabriel and your Vicente Fernandez and you're listening to all that stuff, and Los bookies and Los Tigres del yeah. Norte, you're listening to all of that stuff. So that was my sort of introduction to sort of listening to music. But I think that the, the memory I have of music has to be sitting in the middle seat of the Ford Ranger pickup that my mom had and listening to of all stations, kiss FM when Uh Rick Dees was on there and he was a host. I remember listening to the popular songs that was on there that were on there and trying to sing along with them, humming along with the melody and trying to just, I had an ear. I just had somewhat of an ear that I was able to have, Relative pitch instead of perfect pitch, um, so I was able to figure out some of the some some of the, the notes and the pitch, and I was able to hum along and then figure out some of the words. I remember trying to write out lyrics for songs. I have I have a, I have a very profound memory of of trying to write out "Losing My Religion" by REM. to sing in my fourth or fifth grade class for the music portion of the class. And I remember sitting there writing out the lyrics. I had, of course, limited vocabulary in the fourth or fifth grade. So I was trying to listen to that song over and over on a uh, the. And they used to sell cassette tapes, it was the single of Losing My Religion. And just listening to the song over and over on my my Walkman. Oh my god, I'm so old. <laughs> my Walkman. <laughs> And just, and, and writing, trying to write out the lyrics for it. And then, okay, I think I got it. I think I got it. And I, now that I'm older and I think back, I, oh my gosh, I wrote the wrong lyrics. (laughs) That was not the word he was singing. It was something totally different, but I, but I tried. That was my first sort of, sort of, uh, try at, at writing out some sort of music, some something, um, yeah. I just, I I do remember that my first official like sort of album I ever owned was Michael Jackson's Thriller. Mm -hmm. Like I just talked about it yesterday and today with with the students because we were watching Thriller, but talking about the album Thriller and talking about how I had the vinyl, how I had the cassette tapes as well. And then when they came out with the anniversary editions and the CDs, I had those too. And I have those too. I own maybe about 10 or 15 copies of Thriller. Um, oh, wow. And I still my mom still has the vinyls locked away under lock and key at her house. But those are like prized possessions. But that album, for me, opened the door to music. And I know Michael Jackson had his little things, his personal things, but I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about music. I'm talking about yeah. the music that was created. And just listening to that album, even today, even to, like just listening to Thriller today, and listening to Michael Jackson today, it is uh, it's one of the I, I'm, it's one of the greatest albums that has ever been created, and it's still the one of the top selling albums of all time. That's and it is legendary what mm-hmm. him and Quincy Jones created in that album. I, it's just. I can talk about that album probably for hours and hours because yeah. there's so many things. And every time I listen to a song, I pull something else out of it. Like, oh my gosh, look at the bass part. Listen to the bass part. And like, and the guitar part, it want to be starting something. I mean, it's just funk and just, just this in-your-face sound. Like, they took no prisoners. I mean, they wanted Michael to be successful. Quincy Jones wanted Michael Jackson to be successful, and that album was just it is right in your face. Thriller, like you're never gonna listen to thriller the same way again. But when the song starts and you hear those chords at the beginning, pa 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 that's like boom right in your face. And then that's just relaxed. Boom, 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 boom. Uh-huh. Nice cool little funky bass line. It's just mmm, that's awesome. That's mu- music. That's just like yeah. that's great music right there. Great music.
0: <clears throat> How old were you uh, when you bought that album
1: let's see Uh, let's see thriller um came out in 80 no 81 82 and then the video came out in 80 no 82 was when the album came out 83 i believe is when the video came out a year later um so i discovered it in about 85 Mm -hmm. so i was about four years old yeah four years old when I discovered it and um, I think it was because my mom rented a VHS from you know the the video store and it was the the thriller uh, the making of thriller and I got to see the entire short film and I got to see the making of it and I just fell in love with it yeah you know I fell in love with that album and then interestingly enough the next artist that I kind of remember that I had a true passion for was Prince. Man, Prince and the Revolution, Purple Rain. I mean, it was awesome music. Like, I, I literally had the the Michael Jackson uh, jacket. Uh, <laughs> try to do the moonwalk. I really try still can't do the moonwalk, but I really tried. And then I even had my mom buy me like a fake guitar because I thought I was Prince you know and it's just like that was my intro that was music for me that's what i remember yeah. like those memories are fond for me from listening to prince and listening to michael jackson and being a fan all those all those years of of my and still to this day being a fan of both of those artists when when michael jackson died it's like a part of my childhood died
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i cried i cried so much because it was it, it was it was so sad. Like, it broke my heart because I never got to see him perform live. I always was a fan of his. During the funeral, watching it on TV, I was crying the whole time. It's just like, it's when you, like, I mean, I, I don't know if you've had this feeling before, but when you when you love an artist or or a band so much and something, it just, it dissolves or something. It's just like, it something in your heart just like, oh. It steals it away from you. It's like, and I just felt like I was robbed from part of my childhood when he died. I was like, oh, no. It just, I just felt so sad.
0: Yeah, that was hard for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, yeah, that, that day when the news broke out, even now people still have a hard time Mm -hmm. How old were you when you started playing music? What was the first instrument you learned how to play? The
1: first, I mean, I I sang in choir in elementary school. Like that got together between classes in elementary school. I remember singing, getting together and singing in class. And I was always, like I said, I always try to sing along with the music on, on the radio. I picked up that sort of, ear for being able to match pitch. So I was able to sing along to stuff and then in class when we were in elementary school I would sing I had I sang pretty well. I'm not like I'm not trying to pretend like I'm this professional singer but I I was pretty good. Um, and I always got good grades in the music part of of, uh, of elementary school. I never had a problem with that or participating in that. I loved it. Um, so singing in the choirs in elementary school, once I got to sixth grade at Gage Middle School, I remember they showed us all the instruments. And I had remembered that my mom had told me that my grandfather was a musician in Nogales, Sonora. And I remember her saying he Played many instruments. They called him uh, el maestro, el maestro Sebastián Legaspi. Mm-hmm. So um, he never, he never really was a teacher. It's just like was like they, I guess he did a radio show one time, and they said y el maestro Sebastián Legaspi, and then he just kind of ran with it, and ever since then he wanted to be called el maestro. So el maestro Sebastián Legaspi. So I knew that he played instruments. I knew that there was music coming from that Legaspi household when they were growing up. So I learned that he played saxophone and he played the uh, one of his favorite songs to play was the tequila song. So he learned how to play that song, the tequila, and he would play it and practice it and all that. So, um, and he played violin and he played bass and he played trumpet and and things like that. So it's kind of like he was one of those musicians, uh, kind of a street musician, that whatever the gig needed, he was able to play. So he was able to play with bandas. He was able to play with, uh, mariachi. He was able to play with like, uh, grupos Norteños, like yeah. Tigres del Norte. So he, whatever instrument they needed for whatever group he was able to, he knew, he knew how to play an instrument or instruments from those different types of music. And so just so he can make some money and be able to put food on the table for the 12 kids he had. So <laughs> yes, 12. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. When, when it was time for me to pick an instrument, I I picked the saxophone. That was my first choice. I wanted to play the, the, uh, the alto saxophone or the tenor saxophone. I just wanted to play a saxophone. That's it. And because I wanted to continue that legacy. Well, I didn't get the saxophone. I got my second choice, which was the trumpet. So when I got into sixth grade and I'm in brass class with Miss Shay and I'm like, wait a second. This is not the saxophone. Oh, we didn't have enough room for people in the saxophone, so we're gonna put you on on trumpet. What? <laughs> I don't want to play trumpet. <laughs> I want to play saxophone. So I stuck with the trumpet. And um, like I tell the, the the students, trumpet has been um, has uh, you know it's uh, has guy has guided me through my career and gotten me to the successes that and built the home that I'm that I live in now and the the, the life I have that that my second choice wasn't too bad <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was okay so I mean I, I did pretty good with myself with my second choice so it was um. so I mean and I and I still you know I still play you know I still play so the trumpet is be, became my, my choice so in the sixth grade is when I started really playing trumpet and the whole time in in those early middle school years I remember my mom telling me I don't want a mariachi player in my house. I don't want a mariachi player because she had the experience of my grandfather. So she didn't want another musician that was constantly working evenings at bars, out at parties, getting drunk and all this stuff around all these negative things. Got it. So that she did not want that for me. She saw that in my grandfather and she did not want me to pursue that type of career for myself. But I had to educate my mom at that early age, too. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just about playing an instrument. There's different things in music, like a producer, a teacher, a sound engineer. Like yeah. It was all these different things. You know, there was all these different avenues. And I told her, like, it's not just going to be, I'm not just going to be a performer. Like, I'm going to, like, there could be other things I, I can pursue in music. I love music. She didn't really start supporting me. I mean she never told me not to do it. She always as long as I was busy doing something she was okay, but she didn't start really really providing that support until like the 10th grade when she helped me buy my first trumpet. And once I got that trumpet, it was like, okay, I'm that's rock and roll. I have my own instrument now. Now I'm going to practice whenever I want. And that's what I did. Yeah. Every, you know, I I practiced and I used those early abilities I learned from singing in the car and trying to match pitch, I, I, I honed that to playing the trumpet where I would listen to something, uh, a song from, you know, whatever artist it was, you know, um, whether it be Arturo Sandoval, whether it be something, you know, uh, a cumbia or something, and I would listen, and then I would try to figure it out on my trumpet. So I learned a lot from listening, you know, and I, I try, trying to figure stuff out on my, on my trumpet. So... Um, I, I remember um, doing the same thing for, I saw this movie called The Mambo Kings that starred Antonio Banderas and Armand Asante. They are uh, two uh, guys from Cuba that came into into New York City and they wanted to make it big. And they wanted It was when the big uh, Latin music explosion happened in those early, I think, maybe like the Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball days, so what, yeah. the 50s and 60s? They wrote this, uh, These uh, they had this mambo, they had this different type of, you know, music, uh, Latin music, but they had this bolero, which was the main theme of the, of the movie, that's called Beautiful Maria of My Soul, and I the trumpet solo in it is just amazing. So I took it upon myself in my 11th grade year to try to learn it, and I learned it by ear, and I started writing it out on staff paper that I wrote on my... Regular note paper. I just started writing it out, just listening and trying to figure out the rhythm and how it would sound and everything. And I got pretty close. I mean, I got pretty close at writing it. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, I've uh, music has been in my DNA since I think I was born, and I'm the only one in my family to carry on that legacy that my grandfather had of playing music. So, I'm the only one that carried on the family business, is what you can say uh, to to this day.
0: When did you know you wanted to be a music major or did you did you know you wanted to go to college for music?
1: I didn't. I really didn't. Like I was I never thought about college until maybe the end of my freshman year. I thought about it, but I didn't really put a lot of attention to it. The story is we performed at the Shrine Auditorium with my high school band for graduation that that year so i got to play in the pit of the shrine auditorium where you know the academy awards are at and things like that well the old then when they used to have the academy awards at the shrine so i got to play in that pit that many great you know studio orchestras played for the academy awards i remember walking out and getting on the bus and about to head back to to our to the high school and saying what's that it was across the street Hmm. and it was usc and i remember asking what school is that? And then somebody said, that's USC. That's the, that is the home of one of the greatest marching bands and music departments on the planet. And I said, I want to go there. And then somebody turned around and said, you're too stupid to go there. You'll never go there. And I just remember turning around and telling that person, watch me. Lo and behold, <laughs> I went to USC. I think around my fresh my freshman year of high school, sophomore years when I started, I started kind of transforming everything, uh, because my, my math teacher, Miss Weese, um, God bless her. If it wasn't for her, it wasn't a music teacher, it was a math teacher who actually, and I guess the, remember I said earlier that whatever uh, my subject, as long as it pushes them to to be successful and do something. Well, this teacher, math teacher, pushed this music kid to go and be successful because she pulled me during algebra one and said uh, at the 10 week report card and asked me, do you see your grade? And it was, it was a fail. I had a fail in algebra one. I was really bad at math and it was my sophomore year. I was kind of getting used to high school and having fun with it. So she said, what, what, what college do you want to go to? That was the first time a teacher ever asked me, what college do you want to go to? And I said, well, oh, I had said a few months earlier that I want to go to USC. So I said, I want to go to USC. Do you think an F is going to get you into USC? And I said, I, I don't think so. Ms. Wee's like, no, in order to get to USC, you have to have straight A's. You have to do honors courses. You have to do AP courses. You have to go above and beyond the call of duty in order to get into that school. And these grades will not let get you in. In fact, if you want to go to USC, you need to go to summer school and make this grade up. Or you need to go to winter school. That's when we were on tracks in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in high school. Sp- and- uh, LA USD at the time. So I was on the eight on a track. So I had January, February off and then July, August off. So she said, you have to go to winter school or w- winter session, or you have to go to summer school to make up this grade, because this grade will not look good on your transcript to try to get into USC. Okay. Miss Weeze, I listened to her. It was like, somebody just opened my brain and said, this is the pathway to get in and you have to do this. Like, okay. Okay. So I did it. I, I, that, that following second semester I got an A in her class. I took on tutoring and I got good grades for all of my classes. I found it easy to get A's at that point. Once I figured out like the the formula to get good grades. You just have to do the work and be consistent. That's it. So
0: yeah.
1: I um I continued on that path, went to went to winter session, got an A, um, and then I took honors and AP courses my junior and senior year because she flipped the switch in my brain and it was all USC I want to go to USC I want to go to USC I want to go to USC that's all I could tell people I want to go to USC well what about a Cal State no is that USC no then I don't want to go there I want to go to USC so I just wanted to go to USC that was I was driven I had a goal in my mind and that's where this whole the mantra desire drive destiny i had a desire to go to usc that was my drive and it took me to that destiny so that's where that mantra comes from too it's just like you get something in your head i want to do this and you're obsessed with it you have to obsess over it and then just let that drive you to get your goal to to that destiny that you want so and that's that's kind of the the story of my my of college you know of wh- how i wanted to go to USC my obsession.
0: What did your mom say when that whole, all of that was going on when that's when you decided you wanted that's where you decided you wanted to go to and then your math teacher gets on your case about it.
1: Well, she was well, my mom was already on my case about it because my mom is like <laughs> your mom. You yeah, know, they okay. rule by by the hand and the, the, the chancla, you know, it's like, you know, that's how they, they rule with an iron fist, you know? So that's how my mom was. She kind of was like, okay. And because she didn't really, she knew, she knew she wanted me to go to college. She just didn't know how much it was and she didn't know a lot about it. So, and I mean, she was a single mom, so she mm-hmm. didn't really have a lot of time because she was working 16-hour shifts. Um, she worked; she still works there. She works at Cup of Noodles. So she is the quality control uh, supervisor for Cup of Noodles and um, in Gardena. So she's been there for 40-some years. So um, she worked long hours and overtime and weekends sometimes. So she didn't have a lot of time to invest in learning about this stuff, not like today, where it's very easy, where you can turn on your phone and look for it. You do a Google search. So when I told her how much each semester cost, she was, oh, okay. She never said no. She said, okay, well, we'll figure it out. You know, We're going to figure it out. She was ready to take out a second mortgage on the house. She was ready to do whatever she had to do, take out loans. If my financial aid didn't uh, was not going to be able to pay for it, things like that. She was ready to take on that, to take on you know debt to for 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 me to do that. But luckily, you know, things were different. You know, interesting little story. I don't think I ever told you this, but um, because of everything that I was born, you know, I was born with. They uh, they wrote a news article about me in the LA Times in 1999. I, uh, it was about my, my, my journey through my surgeries and being bullied and everything. And that, caught, that got into the hands of Rosie O'Donnell. And Rosie O'Donnell saw that on a plane ride back from L.A. to New York City. And she called the school I, at the, the high school, Huntington Park High School. And I was on my way to a doctor's appointment. I remember the principal running out and saying, uh, Ariel, Ariel. Ariel, Miss Legaspi, there's an important phone call for you. You can take it in my office. Okay. So we walked into his (laughs) office. First time I was ever in the principal's (laughs) office. Okay. And I sitting there and he's like, yes. He's like, I have mom here and I have, I have uh, Ariel here. So I just need to get your, uh, I just need to get her permission to, so you can talk to Ariel. And then of course my mom said, yeah, uh, whoever it is, that's fine. Um, Like, okay. So, and I, he hands me the phone. I'm like, hello. And then I just hear in the, in the other side of the phone, Hey kiddo. I'm like, hi. Like, and I'm like, who's, and I'm like, who's this? And I'm like, it's Rosie O'Donnell. I'm like, shut up. And I'm like yes. <laughs> like, yes, like, yes, it's Rosie O'Donnell. I'm like, really? Like Rosie O'Donnell, the one that has her own TV show and has been on like in movies and like, yes, yeah, that's me. It's Rosie O'Donnell. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, wow. How are you? <laughs> so. Trying to make conversation, she's like, "I'm fine." she's like, "I I I read this article about you, man, and wow, you've been through a lot. Like, you're an inspiration, man." I'm like, "Oh, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that." And she's like, "Well, I'd like to invite you to New York, you know, to come and sit with me on my talk show and uh, talk to me about your experiences growing up. I think the world needs to hear about this, I'm like." okay. I'm like, sure. That's great. And it's like, would you mind if I send a camera crew out to interview you a little bit before you come out here to New York? I'm like, sure. And then she's like, you don't have to pay for your trip to New York. I'm going to cover all that. Don't worry about that. I'll put you hotel for you and your mom. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's, sounds great. And like, okay, we'll get in contact with mom and uh, we'll figure something out, you know, for you to come out. But I just wanted to, so, and then on, it was like a month or two later, there was, you know, I was being interviewed in Los Angeles by a a camera crew. And then um, uh, a month later was in New York City. And, um, you know, was sitting on the set of the Rosie O'Donnell show. And I got to see this whole little video they put together of that article of the article, but in sort of a a visual format now. Uh And I remember sitting backstage waiting to be called out as a guest on the show and thinking, Oh my God, I've been through a lot. You know, like I've, I've been through so much in what, with these, with, with what I was born with the cranial synostosis and the hypertillerism. I've been through a lot and I'm surprised I'm still standing here. And they, um, so I came out and, she introduced, you know, she introduced me. She said, "Hey, great meeting you." You know, uh, we talked on the phone. So nice. I read that article, and then, uh, you know, it, it, re, you know, kind of, re talked about my story a little bit, and then she asked me, "Do you, if I enjoyed Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, if I enjoyed Kellogg's products?" And I remember saying, "Yeah, I, I do. I like Frosted Flakes. I like Kellogg's products." And it's like, okay, hold this box up and say how much you love Kellogg's. Kellogg's products. And I held this box and I looked at the camera and I just said, I, I love Kellogg's products. They're so good. And then, you know, she's like, okay. And she's like, well, um, and she's like, and I hear that you are having a tough time getting a job because I wanted a part-time job to help pay for if I got into USC because mm-hmm. I had just auditioned for the school. And I went and auditioned at UCLA and was going to do the Cal State circuits to try to get into music. I knew I wanted to do music. So I... It was already trying to figure out a way to make money, but nobody wanted to hire me because, you know, I have a scar that runs from one ear to the other from the surgeries. And everyone thought that because of that, I couldn't do a physical labor job, pushing carts at Sam's Club. So sorry, sorry to Sam's Club for putting them on blast here. But, you know, they didn't hire me Mm -hmm. because they they wanted me to do 50 push push-ups at an interview. Well, they didn't have the other guy do 50 push-ups because he didn't have a scar in his head. But I had a scar on my head. And they were trying to make me do push-ups. And they said, well, can you do this? Are you sure you can? I mean, are you physically able? Like, they, all the questions were leaning towards that. So so what Rosie O'Donnell did is she was able to get me a job at the Gap at the Cerritos Mall. So I worked at the Gap at the Cerritos Mall. So she told me on the show that I had a job at the Cerritos Mall with at the at the Gap. And then the big thing was... I was getting a, uh, a year's supply of Kellogg's products. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll have breakfast for the rest of the year. And then she's like, but the other big thing is that um, anything that you, that, I would have, that I made at the gap in my part-time job that I would keep for myself to spend on the weekends and for myself because Kellogg's was going to pay for the entire college tuition. And I found that out live on TV. So I broke down.
0: Oh, my God. So
1: I got a full ride because of my journey of what I had from when I was born up to that point. So it was it almost like I don't mean to get religious here or spiritual, but it's almost like I was handed a bad deck of cards when I was born and these hurdles that sort of God wanted me to figure out a way to get through these. And was I strong enough to endure these battles? of surgeries and, and bullying and being teased. I mean, when I talk bullying, I'm talking horrible bullying, like just mean, putting me down to where I was nothing. I couldn't, I didn't want to play. I didn't want to go to school when I was in elementary school for a while. And I was able to survive that. I was able to endure those things. And then to have all of these hurdles, having, you know, having my biological mother leave, at the age of ten, and being le- and being living with my aunt, who I see is my mom, who I uh, you've met her be- mm-hmm. before. That that is mom to, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, to having my my dad not raise me at all. All of those things like that would and, and any person should not be should not be able to come out of that and be in one piece, come out in one piece yeah. without any and without having really, really uh, uh their life turn out in a negative way. I instead was was trained in the mentality that my from my mom who is my aunt but she's my mom, she trained me in the mentality of you were born for a purpose. Don't ever forget that. You were born for a purpose. And every time I would get down on myself I was like you're born for a purpose you were born for a reason you were born for a reason don't let them get you down so i kept fighting and fighting and i think that's what drove me to what i am today because that story got me the ticket into my next chapter in my life which was going into going into usc and then there was more battles there there was more hurdles because now i was i had to deal with kids who had were, you know, trust fund babies, you know, and had money and they didn't have to worry about those things. I had to, I had to work with those kids and navigate those waters. So it was my, my life is like one of those things where like, Oh wow, you're still here. Like you're still alive. Like you're still standing. Like you, there is success, you know, like if you have it, if you have bad cards dealt to you, in your life. Like you can turn it around. There is a way to a path to success and do something. And I think like, that's me. Like I've, I've done that. I've been able to, to do that and, and, and harness that, those, those negative aspects and harness them into positives for my life. So I know it's something you never heard of before. I never told you that it's something I hold like close to the heart. And I don't really tell people about it because, not because I'm embarrassed, but because it's, um, you know, it's not, and it's not that it's in, it's not significant, but I, I don't know. Like, it just feels like I'm gloating about it if I talk about it, you know, but it's like, it's, it's an awesome experience, you know, to, to be able to say that, but I, I wouldn't have been on that show if it wasn't for, for what the cards that, you know, I was dealt with, dealt uh, when I was born by, you know, by God, and it was ultimately my 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 a, a challenge that He put me up to, and I was able to surpass it. And I think I, I just I, I I always say I I always think to myself, and I say, I think this Rosie O'Donnell thing was His way of saying, "Good, here, everything you've done, good, good job. Here's your reward. Okay, now continue the journey." Like, okay, cool. So that's the way I see it. I may be completely nuts for thinking it that way, but that's the way I see it. That's the way I kind of see that is that it was, it was, that's what I was dealt with. And it was, it was hurdles and roadblocks that I had to surpass and overcome and learn these lessons. And if I did, I would hopefully be rewarded at the end and never expecting anything, but I was, so it was a blessing. And I think that was the blessing that he, that I would receive from God in order to that, you know, for, for being able to surpass all of those things that I did as a youth. Yeah. So
0: I haven't said
1: that in a long time.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that. I had no idea. Like I knew you had gone to USC on a scholarship, Uh but Mm -hmm. as far as how it all happened, Mm -hmm. that's a really, that's a really great story. And I'm, I'm glad to see that it, um, you were able to jump, over those hurdles because mm-hmm. that's really cool wow mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah so you got so you go to usc and you yes. do your thing you get your bachelor's and what mm-hmm. was it you said music uh music education, education. music mm-hmm. education and you mm-hmm. go you go off and get your teaching credentials and then you go off and you teach you build this program and you know, like, for me, it was an honor to be part of it in a way like, oh, thank you. you know, yeah. thank you. And, and again, seeing some of those kids mm-hmm. grow and become adults and now that they're college graduates and, mm-hmm. you know, see where they're going to end up at five years from now still. You decided to go back to get your master's degree, right?
1: Yes, I did. Yes, what did you, crazy enough.
0: you know, right? <laughs> where did you get it and why did you decide to pursue your master's?
1: Well, I, th- I kind of got bored, you okay. know, at, at, this, at this time, you know, where there was, I mean, I had, I was married already for a few years, and um, I kind of started seeing, I was inspired by Mr. Eduardo, I will say. He was an amazing uh, principal, and I wanted to be an administrator. I want to be like a, like a principal someday or be the director of visual and performing arts for, uh, for a district and be able to provide music and art to, well, visual and performing arts to students so they can imp- imp- provide that impact and that, that those memories that I had. I wanted to see if I can do that. So those were the, those were the two goals. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'd like to pursue a master's degree. Okay, well, that thing's going to cost money. So I was, we were ready here at home to invest in that. But luckily, that Kellogg's money had created a little bit of a uh, interest because it was, in a, it was in a trust fund. So mm-hmm. they just keep reinvesting that money. So it accumulated, and I, I hadn't touched it for a few years, so I had enough to get a master's degree. So I thought, okay, well, I need something that I'm able to still teach, do what I do, and then do it at nighttime. So that way, I don't have to do it, miss school or miss work or anything like that. So I got it through Concordia University, Irvine. So I uh, I met in a uh, a cohort at a local area, at a local uh, school in Rosemead. So the professors would come out to the school in Rosemead that was picked as the as the hub for that cohort, and then. I would meet there with the professor and different te- and different students that were trying to get their master's degree which was all working teachers mm-hmm. and we all wanted to pursue that master's degree in uh in administration we wanted to be administrators so we all pursued that master's degree together and in 2 years I was I was done I would report to that school and I would do I would go to the class and it was very fast paced. I have never written so many papers in my life. And you probably you know that from your master's degree is you spend it doing a lot of research yeah. and writing. So <laughs> yeah. you know, I I missed taking a test at that point. I was like, oh. but but yeah, so I got my 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 master's degree in uh, administration from Corda University, Irvine, and I still have not put it to use. The only time I put it to use was two summers ago, where I was the lead teacher at um, Legacy VAPA High School, and the principal there was my former band director at at Huntington Park, uh, Dr. Ed Tremis. He provided me the opportunity to be an out-of-classroom Uh, position. So I was kind of the teacher lead, I was in charge of the needs of the teachers. And I was kind of the middle person between the principal and the teachers. And I learned so much because I had been reading so many books on leadership, from that point by John Maxwell, Mm -hmm. uh, Jocko Willink, Mel Robbins. I mean, I was reading all of these like self help, but also leadership books, and guiding towards those those and I and I was just building up all of these ideas when I when I'm when I'm when I'm in a leadership position. I'm going to do this and I'm going to yeah. do that. And I started adapting all of those things to the students when I would when I would work with the students. Those leadership skills that I had learned from my master's degree, but also reading my own reading stuff. I would I started applying those to the to to the kids, and um, it worked. And I thought, okay, once I built once I get into a position where I'm going to be in charge of teachers or adults. I will have these tools. And when I got there to Legacy um, for the summer, I put those to work. I I built relationships with every teacher, with the custodians, with the cafeteria manager, with the security guards, with the students. So I was well-known. By the end of the summer, by 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 everybody, to the point where they were asking me, "So, are you going to be working here in the fall? Because <laughs> you know you're 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 great to work with. Like you listen, and then you you help resolve the problem. And I was never afraid to get my hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, if I needed to stand out in the front. To work the to work the main gate to let parents in to pick up their kids or let students in hand out visitors passes so they can take a break. I never was, I, I never was too uh, above that position uh, because if it came on the walkie talkie like, oh, uh, I need a break. Okay, I'm on my way. No, no, you don't need to. No, it's fine. Go, 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 go. You know, I I got it. You know, and I would, I I did that because. I wanted to build that relationship that I'm not, I I wanted them to know that I'm not above any of these positions. Mm -hmm. And um, I think they all saw that at the end of it. They all saw that. And I, and Dr. Tremis saw that too. And um, I was, I was hopeful that I would, um, you know, have a position there. And I didn't, you know, I, they, they didn't have anything available at the time. So it was cool. So, but I know I can jump into a role like that and still be successful. So um, still looking, still yeah. waiting. So hopeful of one day stepping into that position, into a position of, um, you know, as an administrator somewhere. So right now there isn't really much because of COVID. So yeah. there's not a lot. So, but once everything starts to open up, it'll be uh, an experience. And I'm actually glad I got to experience, I'm experiencing this distance learning from the teacher side Mm -hmm. because the administrator side will be different. But at least if I know the, what the boots on the ground are doing and how it is, then I think the transition to administration is going to be easier in case this ever got, you know, knock on wood that this never happens again. But if it does, I will be well prepared because I know what those teachers are going through. I can relate to them. So,
0: yeah, no, you're right. So I just wanted to ask you one more question.
1: <laughs> yeah, go ahead. If you don't
0: mind. It's probably going to sound crazy for me to ask, you know, mm-hmm. hearing everything you've been through and just mm-hmm. all your successes as well. How do you stay positive?
1: That is um, a dream. I mean, you mean pre-covid or during covid is that where you're is that you is that or it just
0: i, I in guess general? i guess in general yeah okay
1: i you know what i i the the thing that keeps me i have to say the thing the the, the things that keep me grounded are my wife she keeps me grounded sorry i'm getting emotional but she keeps me grounded oh. okay she does keep me grounded if it wasn't for, for her i would not be able to um I don't think I would have had a master's degree because I ha- I liked the idea of it. Uh-huh. But she was the one that gave me the nudge I needed at the time. Yeah. Like, do it. Like, okay, just, all right. Here do we it. go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So but I think my my kids keep keep me positive. Even though sometimes we can go a little nuts here at the house. So it's <laughs> just every household, you know. But you know, you, you you need a little bit of that in order to keep you sane. But um but I think that's what keeps me positive because I would not be i would not be the person i am if it wasn't for my mom but i also would not be the person i am today that i've become if if it wasn't for for my wife and if it wasn't for my for my kids because they are the ones that are here with me every day they have my back all the time and whenever i have a bad day all i need is a hug from them all i need is a kiss from them all i need is them to daddy or a kiss from 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 Alba to just say, hey babe, you know, we got your back, even though because it's tough right now, but you know, they they got my back. Like they really, really have my back. And I think that strong family unit is is what keeps me positive. It keeps me positive, it keeps me hopeful that am I s I'm 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 doing something right. Like I'm actually, you know, I'm doing something right in this world because they're I'm helping those, I'm gonna help those two kids become positive things in the world. And because of that, I've been able to do stuff, great things with the, with the students. Cause now I relate to, to the kids as, as a dad, you know, like, well, you know, uh, I wouldn't do that. You know, I, I, it's, so it, it's taught me lessons, but they're the ones that keep me positive and keep me staying afloat if, and you know, and that and way below, lower on the list, you know, is, working out and staying healthy i get up at four in the morning every day Mm -hmm. except on saturday and sunday i'm not gonna lie but monday through friday i'm up at four in the morning and you know i'm working out at 5 a.m uh that's my time to kind of like de-stress a little bit you know and then i come home and i see the positive in my life my wife and kids you know those are the those are the ones that keep me positive keep me staying positive and getting through this crazy time that we're at.
0: So that was my conversation with Ariel. Crazy story of his, right? I'm so happy for the way life has turned out for him after jumping over those hurdles. I'd also like to take this opportunity to remind you to please support the arts and help out your community in any way you can whether it's supporting musicians illustrators actors or filmmakers just to name a few thank you again to ariel for being a guest on the podcast and for being part of positive change if you haven't yet please check out the Keep It Posse podcast playlist on Spotify. As always, you can hit me up via email or social media, Keepitposy.com for all the contact info. Thank you again to everyone for listening to another episode of the Keep It Posse podcast. Please take care of yourself and watch out for each other. Stay posy always. And remember, life is like a mosh pit. If you see someone fall, you got to help that person get back up.